last night we had a uh, wonderful uh, service uh, ushering in uh, Sukkot. Uh, and uh, we were out there, uh, like I said earlier, from uh, daylight into darkness. And, and uh, that was very special. That was the first time I think we uh, had a, uh, an Arab Sukkot service. And I think it was uh, really uh, outstanding. Uh, and uh, this morning, uh, uh, here we are, remembering this, uh, this great holiday. And, you know, as I said last night, uh, traditionally, Sukkot is a minor festival, considered a minor festival. Uh, however, uh, certainly it is a major festival uh, in, uh, in, indeed, uh, what it means. And, you know, Sukkot has a lot of, uh, a lot of meanings uh, for us, Right? There's the agricultural meaning where uh, it's the Feast of Ingathering. We read that in Exodus chapter 23, uh, that it's the Feast of Ingathering, and that is referring specifically to Sukkot as the harvest ingathering. Uh, and uh, just like many communities to this day have fall festivals, harvest festivals, homecomings, things of that nature, uh, in the ancient world, uh, they did as well. That's where uh, those uh, uh, celebrations come from. And, and even in the, you know, the very pagan uh, world, the change of seasons uh, have all kinds of ramifications you know, to all different kinds of people and all different kinds of uh, beliefs. Uh, however, uh, when it comes to God, the, these um, uh, changes of seasons are opportunities for worship. Uh, and in the uh, moving from winter to spring, there is a, uh, a very important uh, uh, festival. Moving from spring to summer, there is a very important festival. And moving from summer to uh, fall, there is a, uh, a festival. Uh, now, may I say, the reason that there probably is not one from fall to winter is because the whole period of time from fall to spring uh, is really the, the, you know, uh, the time of uh, where the, the land uh, lies uh, untouched and we pray for rain, especially you know, in, uh, in, in Israel. But uh, when it comes to the planting of, of seeds and the harvesting of, you know, of fruit and of grain, uh, these are the important moments of, of uh, change. Uh, and so we know the Feast of Unleavened Bread, uh, where Passover is. That is called uh, a, a Feast of Ingathering, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Feast of Weeks, Shavuot, is uh, a change of seasons, and that is the, the uh, harvest of wheat grain, the late spring harvest. Uh, and then you have uh, the fall, uh, and that is the ingathering of uh, fruit, and uh, all uh, whatever is left, you know, uh, what's, been, uh, what's been planted. And it's a great time of thanksgiving, a season of our thanks. We read that in the scriptures as well. It's a time of thanksgiving, uh, of thanking God for, uh, for the harvest. Uh, and interestingly enough, a time of prayer, a time of looking forward, of uh, praying uh, for rain, so that there'll be another year of harvest. Uh, and so, in one sense, 
uh, these three festivals, and especially Sukkot, remind us of the cyclical nature of, uh, of how a year goes uh, in this uh, temporal life that we live. You know, uh, I used to live in California, and what I missed very much about living in Southern California, what can I miss uh, living in Southern California? The changes of seasons and changes of clothes uh, was uh, something that I missed. You know, never really wearing the uh, corduroys anymore, you know what I mean? Never really wearing certain uh, uh, clothes that I like to wear in wintertime, not having that option. Uh, and also the, you know, the leaves on the trees, you know, in Southern California, it kind of goes from this uh, elementary school green to brown, you know, those are basically the colors. Uh, and, uh, and so uh, the changes of seasons and uh, recognizing that the, the cyclical nature of that is something that we're reminded of, uh, of here. Uh, or also reminded, uh, in another way, again, of, uh, of the Lord and uh, of His, um, of his uh, uh, provision. Then there's also the dimension of our relationship with God during this time of, of year, where we move from uh, re- uh, repentance to forgiveness to rejoicing, uh, and restoration. So it's interesting that when we think about that, uh, uh, th- this issue of restoration, this issue of rejoicing and, and of being restored, in one sense, uh, it is temporal that we're restored and prepared for another year. And uh, in another way, it reminds us of something that has already taken place uh, in Messiah Yeshua that we have been restored uh, 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 to God. And it reminds us also of a future restoration of this world. And so like many feasts, festivals, like many things that happen in our lives, they're pictures of varieties of things depending on what we're talking about. Uh, and, uh, And that's important. One thing that's interesting about this holiday is that it is the most mentioned holiday in the Bible. Uh, it is mentioned more often, and I'm not just talking about in the, in the New Covenant. I mean from Genesis to Revelation. Sukkot is mentioned much more in the uh, Tanakh than any other holiday. You can maybe find uh, Rosh Hashanah alluded to in one or, one or two places. Yom Kippur, it's hard to find anywhere other than the commands for it. There's very few narratives I can think of that actually talk about Yom Kippur. However, I can think of lots of places that talk about Sukkot. And there's a few that talk about Passover. A few. Okay? But Sukkot, uh, for example, uh, you have uh, when Solomon dedicated the uh, temple, you have Sukkot mentioned very specifically uh, in the book of Ezra, when the children of Israel uh, returned uh, to the land. Uh, we read about Sukkot, certainly in uh, the book of Zechariah, uh, most definitely. And I know I'm forgetting a few of the, uh, of the narrative portions where we read about it being, uh, being observed. But when you come to the New Covenant, wow, right? 
some of Yeshua's most uh, uh, famous teachings come with a backdrop of Sukkot. Uh, for example, in the Gospel of John, in the seventh chapter. Why don't we turn there for a second? We can take a look at it. Right? We know it's Sukkot because it says so. <laughs> That's what I love about this holiday, is that we don't have to think, well, scholars believe. No. Here you go. Look at what it says in uh, John chapter 7, in verse 3. Now, the feast of the Jews, the feast of booths, was at hand. Okay? Uh, there you go. And by the way, I like to say this, and I know that some of you were not here last night, so I'm going to say this again, and please um, forgive me if you were here last night, but it does bear repeating. For the sake of clarity, sometimes, or for whatever reason, we like to call this the Feast of Tabernacles, right? People call it that, the Feast of Tabernacles, right? Everybody's heard of that. The only reason we use that terminology is because of the King James Bible. It's the only reason. Okay, I, I, in other translations, it's called the Feast of Booths, all over the place. Okay, I also in Hebrew is a different word for the tabernacle in the wilderness, Mishkan. Okay, Mishkan and Sukkah are different words with very different meanings. Okay, the word Sukkah, I, I. Etymologically, basically, actually is a, a covering, a covering, all right? Different from the word, the, the word for uh, uh, Kippur, but it is basically a word for covering. But it means, what it means is a shelter, everywhere that is used in the Bible. And sometimes it actually is shelter, okay? Uh, but really, what it is, in our common vernacular, you could word, use the word lean-to, uh, shack. <laughs> that probably doesn't sound too, you know, overtly uh, beautiful. I don't know, but but it's not supposed to be. See, and so uh, a sukkah is basically a, a lean-to. It's supposed to keep us from the elements, you know, and it describes basically uh, what workers who work out in the field would uh, find sh where they would find shelter from the sun. Uh, so, uh, like today. If, uh, you know, uh, a person uh, works on a farm that has hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of acres and you're out there all day, there might be lean-tos, right? That's like what a sukkah is. So very different from like the tabernacle in the wilderness where Israel would meet God, all right? It's just important to know. All right, so the Feast of the Jews, the Feast of Booths was at hand. Now, we know then that uh, uh, when you come to verse uh, 37, on the last day, the great day of the feast, that is uh, Hoshana Rabbah. Uh, 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 that's the name of that day. Hoshana Rabbah, which means save us very much. <laughs> okay? Uh, Hoshana Rabbah. Uh, now, in a little while, we're going to say... Uh, 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 some, uh, some phrases that are said in the synagogue as we prepare to wave the Lulav and Etrog. Uh, and we don't only say them on the seventh day, but we say them every day, Lord, save us, Lord, save us. Now, it doesn't mean save us from our sins eternally, but it means save us from, uh, you know, drought, save us from difficulty, uh, deliver us you know, in this life, 
And that is a big part of what Sukkot is about, uh, about this issue of, being, of deliverance, of experiencing deliverance, of thanking God for it and praying for it in the upcoming year. So on that day, the last day, the great day of the feast, Yeshua stood up and cried out, saying, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Now again, the backdrop on the seventh day in the ancient world would be there would be this uh, special offering uh, of a combination of wine and water, which is interesting. Uh, with the water part, the priests would go out to the Pool of Siloam uh, with these golden pitchers, and they would gather in water, uh, and then there would also be uh, wine in these uh, bowls, and they would offer it over the altar. And it was really a prayer, like the joy of, of the season, give us you know, joy, and give us rain for the next year. Uh, and, and really, uh, what's interesting is uh, some of the liturgy has a very uh, spiritual overtone of, uh, you know, pouring out uh, from the wells of salvation in, in Isaiah chapter 12 and the book of Joel, uh, pouring out of the Ruach HaKodesh. You know, so there was, there was a sense uh, from the rabbis, we know this from the Mishnah, which was written about 200 years uh, after the time of Yeshua. And so no one is positive, but we know that the Mishnah is composed of sayings and rites and rules that had been in place already for hundreds of years, but it was written down 200 years later. So it is always very interesting when something takes place in the New Covenant that is reflected in this rabbinic literature. It's always very interesting. And it goes to show us how Yeshua fit right into the milieu or right into the environment of, of, of the Jewish world because he was Jewish, taught in a Jewish way, taught Jewish people in a Jewish place, uh, but taught something new, see? Uh, and so uh, as these water offerings are taking place, isn't it fascinating that Yeshua says, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being shuffle rivers of living water. Now, so when Yeshua says that, it's hard, you're hard-pressed to find a passage that actually says that. As the scriptures say, from his, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. But what you do find are two particular passages. One is in uh, the 14th chapter of uh, Zechariah. And the other one is in, uh, I believe, the 46th or 47th chapter of Ezekiel that referred to the time of what we would refer to as, uh, you know, the second coming of Messiah, the time when the, all will recognize him as king, that rivers of living water will flow out of Jerusalem. And so what he's saying is that out of you it will be, as it were, that future time. You know, that out of you now you can experience that intimacy with God now, that out of you will flow rivers of living water. The day will come when historically that will happen in Eretz Yisrael, in Yerushalayim, but that even now we can experience rivers of living water. So Yeshua takes those passages that are talking about the future and he makes an application. Isn't this great? Uh, this is great uh, uh, hermeneutics. That Yeshua does not change the meaning of the text, 
but he makes an application in its context to the lives of the people that he was listening to. And so he says, out of you now can flow rivers of living water. Why? And John, after the fact, explains it to us. See there in verse 39, Yeshua didn't say, but this he spoke of the Spirit. This is what John is saying. After the fact, okay? Yeshua, the quote ends, from his innermost being shuffle of rivers of living water. Okay? So my guess is, is that when he said this, they were thinking, well, this is, we got to remember this. You know? What does this mean? And so after the fact, after the Ruach HaKodesh is poured out, after the apostles are filled with the Ruach, filled with the Holy Spirit, and now understand in retrospect, this is what Yeshua is talking about. He writes in his gospel, but this he spoke of the Spirit, whom, they who, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Yeshua was not yet glorified. Okay? So when Yeshua said it, it didn't happen yet. But now John is speaking after the fact. After it does happen. Aha! This is what he was referring to. The pouring out of the Ruach HaKodesh at Pentecost, you know, that we read about in Acts chapter 2. And that uh, uh, this realization that Yeshua uh, does give us living water, that he fills us with his Ruach, that as Peter said in Acts chapter 2, this is what was spoken about in the book of Joel. The pouring out, this pouring out. And so these words of Yeshua that were spoken in a sense prophetically on Sukkot come to pass uh, on, uh, on Shavuot actually, uh, when uh, the Spirit is poured out, and then John remembers it, and when he writes this uh, gospel, he includes it. Isn't that fascinating? I love that stuff. Now, uh, John continues to narrate what had happened. Some of the multitude, therefore, when they heard these words, they were confused. They were confused. They didn't know what he meant, right? Some of the multitude, therefore, when they heard these words, were saying, this is certainly the prophet. This must be like the Messiah. Like, wow, uh, the prophet means this is, uh, you know, he's going to be the king or he's going to usher in the days, of, uh, the days of a Messiah. Others were saying, this is the Messiah. Is he the forerunner of the Messiah? Maybe he is the Messiah. Still others were saying, surely the Messiah is not going to come from Galilee. Is he? That cannot be, right? For the scriptures have said that the Messiah shall come from the offspring of David and from Bethlehem the village where David was. So they, they didn't understand. They did not know. They didn't, you know, these people didn't know him personally, right? Uh, uh, they, uh, they had not seen his birth certificate. They thought maybe he was born in another land. <laughs> anyway, uh, that, the, uh, uh, who is he? Who, uh, uh, you know, there's confusion. We don't know who he is. He's saying, uh, 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 something uh, uh, very um, seemingly very spiritual. Maybe he's the Messiah. He's not the Messiah. He is. Okay, there was confusion. So there arose a division in the multitude because of him. And some of them wanted to seize him, but no one laid hands on him. Uh, and, and so it's important to understand that, that when he said these things, there was great confusion about who he was. And, you know, may I suggest that to this day, there's still great confusion about who he is. Still great confusion. 
unless one embraces Yeshua and has the indwelling Ruach HaKodesh who brings clarity to the understanding of who Messiah is. When you look around you, uh, you know, people still say, he's a prophet, he's the Messiah, he's a good man, he's one of many messiahs. But it's not until we have a, a, a really an understanding that only comes via the conviction of the Ruach, that we have clarity about who he is. You know, I will say, in my life, when I prayed to receive the Lord into my life, I did not have clarity until that moment. You know, basically I said, Lord, I can't stand this anymore. You know, is he the Messiah? Is he not the Messiah? I can't stand this. Show me, tell me, I want to embrace him. And you know, in that prayer, he showed me. And I just knew that, I, I, I like to say when I share my uh, testimony, I moved from point A to point B. I knew that I believed. I didn't know, I knew nothing about really what that meant. I could not even articulate it or share it, but I knew that I embraced everything about him. And whatever was true about him is what I believed. Could I understand the triunity of God? No. But I said, okay, I'll go with it. Because I have this conviction inside of me that this is true. And that is, you know, in the, in the book of Romans we read, the spirit agrees with my spirit, right? That's the ultimate assurance and conviction. Conviction and assurance comes by uh, teachers we trust teaching us the Bible. I, you know, I, it comes via reading the text of the Bible ourselves. What do we read at the very end of John? These things have been written that you may uh, know that Yeshua is the Messiah, that you may have assurance of your salvation, basically is what it says. And, but the, uh, the, the most direct way we know, I know what I know that I know that I know, is that comes from the Ruach HaKodesh. It is a spiritual transaction that takes place within us. It is not just assent to a set of doctrines. It is a spiritual transaction that takes place. And that is what Yeshua is talking about. And he preaches it on Sukkot. And on Sukkot is when we, in a sense, appreciate that all over again. You know, when we think about, uh, again, the season, the season of, uh, you know, of uh, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot, moving on this journey, we appreciate it temporally. Like right now, I'm cleansed all over again, you know? Then there is, uh, uh, as believers in Yeshua, the way we understand this holiday as a time of thanksgiving. When we look back to Passover, Yeshua came and he died for our sins and he rose from the dead at unleavened bread at, at that time of year, during that feast of ingathering, you know what I mean? Uh, that first feast of ingathering. That's when he died and he rose from the dead. And then on Shavuot, it's kind of like I'm standing... You know how I'm viewing this, I'm visualizing this? I'm standing like on a part of a circle. And I'm at Sukkot, looking across the circle to the other side. Oh, there is Passover. You know, there is uh, uh, the finished work of Yeshua, his death and resurrection. Oh, now over here, uh, oh, there is, 50 days later, Shavuot, the pouring out of the Ruach HaKodesh. Oh, and now as I see the summer uh, coming, this is indeed, uh, you know, the ups and downs, the gathering in of harvest, the, the life that I live. And now here is, in a sense, a, a time of fulfillment. Now this time of year is a time of fulfillment, a time of thanksgiving 
for all that God has indeed done in my life, for the Ruach HaKodesh, for uh, the work that he's done in my life. And, and he gives us this, in a sense, a time every year to embrace this. But then he also, it's like, it's always Sukkot. It's like, uh, it's like uh, you ever see the movie Groundhog Day, right? Every day is Groundhog Day. Every day is Sukkot. I wake up every day and the Ruach HaKodesh dwells within me. I wake up every day and there is an intimacy with God. I wake up every day and He never leaves me or forsakes me. And in a way, it is what Passover and Shavuot, uh, how they function in our lives is through Sukkot, this great uh, season of our rejoicing. And we read, uh, uh, Rav Shaul, the Apostle Paul says, Rejoice always! Every, every season is Zman Simchatenu. Every season should be a season of our rejoicing. Uh, but, but we know that we have tsuris. We know that it isn't a bed of roses. Howard, how can it be a season of rejoicing when my knees hurt me? How can it be a season of rejoicing when, uh, you know, I, uh, I have aches and pains? How can it be a season of rejoicing when I'm worried about my children? How can it be a season of rejoicing when I'm worried about uh, my nest egg? How can it be a season of my rejoicing when I'm looking at my bank account and the cupboard is bare? How can it be a season of my rejoicing when I'm waiting for a report from the doctor? How could it be a season of my rejoicing if I'm scheduled uh, on Tuesday afternoon to have my next chemotherapy um, uh, session? Uh, how can it be a season of my rejoicing? Are you out of your mind? Well, yes. But no, when it comes to a season of our rejoicing. How could that be? Now, that is when we turn back now to, turn back to Leviticus chapter 23 for a minute. And this is uh, uh, just a great truth about, about this holiday. In Leviticus chapter 23, <clears throat> when we read about what this holiday is, uh, beginning in verse 33, again the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, On the fifteenth day of the seventh month is the Feast of Booths for seven days to the Lord. On the first day is a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work of any kind. For seven days you shall present an offering by fire to the Lord. On the eighth day, you shall have a holy convocation to present an offering by fire to the Lord. It is an assembly. Uh, you shall do no laborious work. These are the appointed times of the Lord, which you shall proclaim uh, as a holy convocation to present offerings by fire to the Lord, burnt offerings, grain offerings, sacrifices, and libations, each man's matter on its own day. Besides those of the Sabbaths of the Lord, besides your gifts, and besides all the votive and free will offerings which you give to the Lord. So, all we really know so far is that this is a, a day of celebration. But beginning in verse 39, we get some additional information. It's almost like the chapter could end at the end of verse 38, and we'd know about Sukkot. But verses 39 to 44 is like, I'm going to tell you now about Sukkot all over again, and say something else. It's very interesting. It's like a little section by itself. On exactly the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered the crops of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord for seven days, with a rest on the first day and a rest on the eighth day. Now, in the first day, you shall take for yourself foliage of beautiful trees, 
palm branches, boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. You don't read this anywhere else. You don't read this in the other part of the celebration of the holiday. You don't read this in Exodus uh, about, uh, about Sukkot. You don't read this in Deuteronomy uh, about uh, Sukkot. But you only read it here. Very interesting. You shall thus celebrate it as a feast of the Lord for seven days of the year. It shall be a perpetual statue throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall live in booths for seven days. Without this little section of one, two, three, four, five, six verses, we would not know about building a sukkah. We would not know about lulavs and etrogs. But it would just be like this, this harvest, the harvest festival. Okay? You shall live in booths for seven days. All the native born in Israel shall live in booths. So that your generations z, z, may know that I had the sons of Israel live in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So Moses declared to the sons of Israel the appointed times of the Lord. So it's very interesting. Beyond the fact of being a fall festival, beyond the fact of being a feast of ingathering, beyond this whole concept of bringing an offering to the Lord in this great time of harvest and the celebration, we're supposed to build, we're supposed to live in a lean-to. Why not live in now? Wait a minute. Now we don't do that, and now we live in houses made of bricks, and we should live that way, you know, and, and rejoice in the permanence of God and, and all that he's done. But he says, no, 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 live in lean-tos, okay? And I, and, I wanna, and, you know, and I want you to celebrate it. And you notice that the occurrence of the word celebrate, like, increases here. Celebrate it, celebrate it, celebrate it. Live in a lean-to. And remember how I protected you in the wilderness, but wait a minute, we're not in the wilderness. Now we're, uh, we should be celebrating that we got out of the wilderness. So Sukkot is this paradoxical holiday, according to these last few verses. It's a time of this great celebration and, you know, and, and all of that, but it's this time of remembering living in a lean-to. So in a way, it is a festival not of fulfillment, but of a reminder of fulfillment. And that we live in a shack, we, or we have our services, or we build a, a sukkah, this dwelling that is fragile. And so it's as if God is saying, I want you to remember the fragility of life, even though you may live in a house now, I want you to remember the fragility of life, right? I want you to remember <laughs> okay. the, that life is indeed fragile and that it can fall apart at any time. And you know that's true. Isn't that true? Right. You know, in another culture, I'd say, give me an amen on that, but I'm only joking there. All right? Uh, life is indeed fragile. We, you don't know what tomorrow will bring. We don't know. You know that on, um, I've said this once or twice, I think. Um, you know, on, uh, in, 19, um, in 2001, on September the 10th, uh, that was a Monday, and we had MSI. Okay, and uh, I was with uh, a fellow, some of you know, you may remember him, Terry Zeller. And uh, in that time of my life, uh, late at night after a teaching or a Bible study, uh, chicken wings were the order of the day, all right? And so he and I uh, went uh, up to a restaurant called Damon's that uh, was on Max Town Road uh, and watched the end of the Monday night football game and uh, talked about theology and all that kind of stuff. And uh, as we walked uh, in the parking lot to go home that night on September 10th, 2001, 
we were saying to one another those very words. You never know. You never know what tomorrow can bring. I'll never forget that. And we know what the next day brought. You never know what tomorrow will bring. You know, there's been a lot of talk about the blood moons. Now he's bringing it. There's been a lot of talk about the blood moons and twenty, the, the last day of Elul, the Shemitah, all that business. And, uh, you know, people run around like Chicken Little, right? The sky is falling, the sky is falling, right? Uh, build holes in the ground out in the country and gather your stuff together so you'll, you'll be okay and, and, you know, and, and this and that. And, uh, and the fact of the matter is that's not how we're supposed to think about uh, signs of the times and things of that nature. No. They're to remind us that life is indeed fragile. And they're to remind us that we always, therefore, need to be right with the Lord. You see? Not about, about uh, figuring out times and, I, and this and that. And, oh, you gewalt, you know? If you live on the Internet, you will drive yourself crazy, you know? Uh, and so the fact of the matter is, whatever, all kinds of, you know, uh, astrological signs that take place and all that should remind us uh, that God has indeed uh, the heavens and the earth in the palm of his hand. You know, that's what it should remind us of. And to always be right with him. Yes, to repent. And that he even gives us uh, signs in the sky to remember who he is and to come to him. He'll do what he's going to do in his time. But let us remember that life is indeed fragile. Okay? And so, therefore, Sukkot, the sukkah, reminds us of that, okay? That uh, we live in a, 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 a fragile state. You could say dwelling in the sukkah is a test, you know? Uh, it can be a pleasant experience at the beginning of the holiday, but if you really live in it for seven days, it can become quite unpleasant, especially at nighttime. You know, it can become cold and maybe rainy if we really dwell in it for seven days. It can become quite unpleasant but remind us, kind of like fasting, you know, kind of remind us of the need to be drawn to God. And uh, secondly, uh, that, that, uh, that same thought here reminds us that we're not in control of our circumstances. You're only in control of your reactions and actions. You're not in control of your circumstances. You're not in control of what your children do. I love saying that. You're not in control of what your children do. You can't control what they do. I'm speaking to, as I look around the room, uh, I see that uh, certainly uh, most, most of us that are present here right now don't have little kids, okay? Maybe some of us do, but most of us don't have little kids. Little kids you can kind of control. Yeah, you know, but not once we hit a certain age, and I won't say what, you know, believe it or not, they have a mind of their own. You know, we teach them to use their minds, and then when you know, they go and do it, you know? Uh, but they have their own will, they have their own, their own way, uh, their own emotions. And, and, and so, uh, uh, therefore, uh, we, need to we need to remember that. And so, we draw close to God, and we pray for them, or we praise them, or whatever, whatever the situation is. But, uh, uh, oftentimes, our children do remind us that we are not in control of our circumstances, and therefore, whether we are successes and failures in life are not dependent on other things. The, the, God judges the success or failure of our life by the way we live our lives. And I will say that when it comes to raising children, I know kids that were raised in the most careful of experiences 
reenacting Little House on the Prairie in every way, okay? Uh, But where kids turn out not the way parents expected. And I know kids that were raised going to that public school and doing everything, you know, know, uh, just uh, attending proms and dances and, and football games and this and that and are walking with the Lord today. So, you know, uh, success or failure is about our own, whether we can live in that sukkah and, and being reminded that this is indeed a temporal life, a fragile temporal life. And finally, that it's temporary. <laughs> Thank the Lord for that, right? And that it is indeed temporary. And that the day uh, will indeed come uh, when we know uh, that uh, we will dwell indeed uh, with the Lord uh, forever. See? Uh, and so the neat thing, it's a paradox, because having said that, Yeshua is a model of the sukkah. Right? He dwells among us. He dwells in us. He protects us. So at the very same time that it's fragile and that we're not in control of our circumstances and that it's temporary, the very same time, Yeshua is protecting us. He is our sukkah. Uh, he is our dwelling place. He never leaves us, or nor does he ever uh, uh, forsakes, uh, forsake us. And you know, when you think about fragility and the lack of control and the temporary nature of things, that defines Yeshua's life in this world, when he dwelt in this world, right? But he made the biggest difference that anyone ever made in the history of mankind in a fragile, not in control of his circumstances, temporary situation. And so may we remember that also. Having the Ruach HaKodesh in a fragile world that we don't control, but recognizing that it's temporary because the day indeed will come, as we read in the book of Revelation, that the tabernacle of God, the sukkah of God, will dwell with men. A day when there will be no more weeping, no more crying, no more dissatisfaction, no more unhappiness, no more sadness whatsoever and we will live in a house not made uh, with hands that will indeed last forever in the heavenlies. What a great holiday Sukkot is. And may we rejoice in it now. Lord, we thank you, God, for Sukkot. The Feast of Booths, the Feast of Lean-Tos, the Feast of uh, a temporary life with eternal, uh, with eternal promises and ramifications. Lord, we do uh, uh, pray, God, that Sukkot would be a great time of encouragement to us, no matter what sukkah we're living in, no matter what sense of the fragility uh, of life we're living in, may we rejoice in Yeshua, our dwelling, Lord. And we thank you, God, that even though in another way we are like the sukkah, we live in fragile houses that fall down, we thank you, Lord, that Yeshua dwells in us via the Ruach. And so in this fragile structure of our lives, Lord, thank you that we have the eternal one forever. And in that way, we experience uh, not a temporary life, but indeed eternal life. We thank you in Yeshua's name.